Welcome back to the podcast. It is time for part five, which will likely be the conclusion of the ongoing series of King Hezekiah and the Second Chance People of God. Um, We've been moving through it pretty well, and I really feel like as I kind of think about what we've already covered, I'd like to say we've already covered really the main meat of the message, of the main point of what's within this account in the scriptures, in Chronicles and Kings primarily, in that we've really extracted the main theme of the life of King Hezekiah, demonstrating to us what a man who is prepared to reclaim and remember and restore the reality of a people, a nation, with their hearts towards God. A remembering people. A set-apart people. A people who are distinguishable according to the statutes and ordinances that they live according to. And so I hope that's been made very clear. There's a couple things that there's there's several pages in the in the written form of this study that I'm kind of I'm waffling on what to share. I don't want to distract from the main point by bringing out some other points that I just find interesting within the historical record of Hezekiah and primarily what we're seeing what we read rather in the latter closing stages of 2nd Chronicles. But there's a couple things I just want to point out that I find very fascinating, very intriguing, and just, I don't know, notable. Are there not just some things that are in the scriptures that are just like, you know, I just think that's cool. I just think that's awesome. That there's something more to be grasped and understood about these things that we read as just kind of factual, and really if we don't dig into it and and meditate on it and and look look a little deeper into we just literally we just have to acknowledge we will just miss little intricacies of details of like just records of things that happen to men and what's buried within and interwoven within the story of circumstances of their lives I do want to recap just super fast, just blow through to just kind of get us right up to the minute because I don't know when you listen to this, when you listened to part one. I mean, for me, it's fresh because two days ago I started recording this series and so I've gone from introduction to today's part five in three days. And so for me, of course, it's just right here. But I have to remember that it may have been over the course of weeks where you started the series and now, now you sit at this present moment listening to this installment of the series. So I'm trying to keep that in mind in a sense of reviewing. So we established King Hezekiah's origins, his familial upbringing. His father, King Ahaz, was evil in the sight of the Lord. He was very vile. His mother was possibly a godly woman. Her name meant my father is Yahweh. There was some something there within that for us to probably extract and say, 
that probably influenced Hezekiah, but what we made a little bit clear, I could have spent a lot of time on it, and I'm going to touch on it, I believe, a little bit today, is the, the main influence that we see in King Hezekiah is the, the prophecies of his friend Isaiah that you can read a lot about Isaiah and Hezekiah's interactions and what the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah in regards to Judah and Hezekiah's reign. It's very intriguing from that standpoint of thinking of them as brothers. And so within that, King Hezekiah gleaned from men like David. As we alluded to just barely, but like there's so much within the scriptures showing us how he really mirrored and modeled King Solomon. And his goal was to restore what he saw King Solomon in state in regards to the worship the house of the Lord, the sacrifices. We saw how he reinstated Passover that had been forsaken and abandoned, and if and how it was acknowledged and observed at all, it was not according to the right statutes of, and ordinances of how it had been originally instated. It was not being observed correctly. The priesthood were not even on the scene. Because we saw at the very beginning of the story of King Hezekiah's reign that he calls them in. We covered early on the house of the Lord was in shambles. It was fallen apart. It was neglected. It was abandoned. It needed emptied of, of all the things that his father Ahaz had filled it with. We talked briefly about how King Ahaz, his father, reigned as king of Judah for 16 years. And in 16 days, because of the work of the hands of the Levites and of Hezekiah's commands and their response of their heart and turning of repentance and, and setting themselves apart, consecrating themselves, cleansing the house of God, they undid those 16 years of evil in 16 days. The house was clean. The house was prepared. The house was ready again. For what? For people, the people of God, to come to it again. So as we see in that order, things began to change. And people did become, become interested again. They began to respond to the call from Hezekiah to come Come, he sends the couriers out to Israel to come celebrate the Passover with us. But you must meet us at the house of the Lord. You must meet us according to the ways of God that our forefathers long ago once knew and did. So come, anyone can come, but you must come in this manner. And we talked about how Hezekiah mirrored the Messiah in many ways, in that approach of being the mediator between God and man, knowing the ways and the commands of God and saying, come, this is an open, open invitation, but you must come according to these guidelines and these ways. So yes, anyone come, but you must come 
and meet here. We will only reconcile when we reconcile unto God. Yahweh himself will receive us and then we have hope again. And so we talked about a lot of that. Hope is beginning to stir in the people of God in the land of Judah during the reign of King Hezekiah. People come, they bring lambs and goats and bulls in great number, in great great quantity, so many that there's not enough people to handle the whole thing. It's a representation of the constant more and more and more. They do observe Passover, the second observance like they did in the book of Numbers, the second chance people becomes a literal reality. They didn't stop in discouragement and say, well, we just, we're not good enough, we did all we could. No, they kept going and they kept seeking and they kept repenting and turning and and attempting to get back to God and be found clean before Him again. And they kept coming, and they kept coming, and those who came stayed. And so they observed the full seven days, and what did they do? We talked about how they said, let's go another seven. Let's do it again. Let's, let us not stop here. Let us continue for the more, and the more, and the more. Why did they do that? Because they were starting to understand and and grasp what their God had done for them. They were what? Remembering. Oh yes, He passed over. He delivered. He set us apart for His good pleasure. He's jealous for His house. They were remembering. And as they remembered, their hope was being stirred. And as their hope was being stirred, they wanted to bring more. They wanted to do more. They wanted to stay longer, worship louder, sacrifice more of their belongings. King Hezekiah, by the thousands, brought animals for sacrifice. And as I shared, and I'm stirred again thinking about it, I believe the people said, Yes, more. By his pattern. By his not holding back. Yes, we want to be that exa- like that example. And what I want to lightly touch on just a little bit because there's some significance within it is there are some things and I want to be so careful that I don't in any way paint Hezekiah as someone he's not. I've really tried to rightly get the truth of what the scripture is saying in it and I don't want to be wrong in any way but I know I'm not flawless but I'm going to present something as as not my opinion but my understanding of the text that I read because unlike Jesus as we looked at Hezekiah in his messiah like qualities I want to look very, very briefly at Hezekiah and the people of Judah as us. As ourselves. And see ourselves within them and their ways that they acted. 
things that they did that were not perfect, that were not in any way flawless in their zeal, in their righteousness, in their desire to be found clean and acceptable before Yahweh again, they were still men like you and me. Hezekiah was still a mere man. And some of the scriptures would lend us to at least ask the question like, did Hezekiah start to just kind of teeter a little bit? We don't have in any way lending us to believe that he turned in rebellion or that he was walking in blatant disobedience, but there are just some strange things that start coming into kind of the middle part, well, and even the, the beginning of Second Chronicles chapter 32 that make us just ask some questions, and that's really all I'm doing. But the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, he decides he's going to invade Judah. And as we talked about before, the, when Assyria came, no one left. No one remained. Assyria came and cleaned house. They laid desolate whatever land they came in to overthrow. And we see some weird things in 2 Chronicles 32 when this starts to come onto the scene and Sennacherib just does some strange things that we have no time to go into explaining. But he starts referencing um, Hezekiah in an interesting way about he addresses all the people of like, are you sure you should trust Hezekiah? Are you sure you're, I'm paraphrasing, that your trust isn't in him? And I had to ask the question like, okay, is this just a taunting? Very likely, yes. And the, but I asked myself, is in any way, was there truth within that? Because the people started just, really, could we all not say that we all have the tendency and propensity to simply start doing what we're told as opposed to why we're told to do it? And so I'm just proposing a question when we start to look at the humanity of these people of God in, in the land of Judah at that time and King Hezekiah who was leading them with great precision and wisdom and zeal. And so all these things transpire. And what is interesting and the main crux of the reason of why I asked this question is as I was looking into some historical texts about just kind of the, the, the thinking inserting myself into the, the thinking of the time when certain things happened and what it meant, not just insinuated, but like what it meant during the time period of the land of Judah. And I'm going to get right to it for the sake of time. But there's a lot going on. Sennacherib, he comes in. He tries to confuse the people and he tries to stir people up against Hezekiah. He questions everything Hezekiah is doing. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you. Don't believe him. He starts implanting these seeds of thought to the people of Judah. But King Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles 32.20, he and Isaiah the prophet 
prayed about this, and they cried out to heaven. And verse 21 sure caught my attention. The Lord sent an angel who destroyed every mighty warrior, commander, and officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned in shame to his own land, and when he had entered the temple of his God, some of his own children killed him there with the sword. The Lord sent an angel who destroyed every mighty warrior? Wait a minute. Does this ring a bell with anyone? What is this? Is this, could this possibly be the death angel that came over at Passover? Delivered the people of God who obeyed the command of God? And rained down judgment upon those who opposed him? And were enslaving the people of God? Could that not be the same exact circumstance repeated here? With King Hezekiah and the attack of the Assyrian army? So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and he guided them on every side. He gave them rest. So they responded with bringing gifts to the Lord and to Hezekiah and to the... Um, well, to King Hezekiah and to the Lord. But in those days, and this is what really triggered my questioning in verse 24, in those days Hezekiah became mortally ill. And he prayed to the Lord and the Lord spoke to him and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received because his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came on him and on Judah and on Jerusalem. Now let's stop right there. Now when you look at it, I believe it's in the king's account that he had what was called the boil. Okay, so like, and I credit another guy for helping me see this. I listened to this in a teaching message um, after I started this study. I can't remember his name or I'd give him absolute credit for it. But it lended itself to my questioning, so it, it hooked my attention. Okay, so when you start looking into the boil, the boil during the days of Judah was known for sure to be a sign of the judgment of God upon a man. And if you start looking closer into just the, the literal understanding of the boil, the boil was what preceded leprosy. The boil was like the outset, the, the beginning stages, if you will, of what would often generally become full-blown leprosy, which was known absolutely clear, cut and dry, black and white, that when you get that, that is the sign that the judgment of God is on a man. That was understood. That was clear. So we know what, let's stick with what we know. Hezekiah became mortally ill, and he prayed to the Lord, and the, the Lord spoke to him, and he gave him a sign. But he didn't respond because his heart had become proud. It had become elevated and made high. So wrath came on him and the land. Okay, so 
Interesting. Let's make a note of that. Let's not forget that, okay? So he goes to Isaiah. And again, in summary, this is all throughout the scriptures in in a couple different places. And he basically says, Isaiah, what's going on? Isaiah speaks to him the word of the Lord. This is going to kill you, Hezekiah. This will be your end. Okay, so, and, and here, listen to this, y'all. This is so awesome. He, okay, why do, why do the prophets say the things they say? Why are things recorded the way they are? Why? Not just for information. He, Isaiah says to Hezekiah, get your house in order. Get your house in order. So he pleads with God to extend his to extend his life. God hears. Why? Because in verse 26, Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart. And he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the wrath of the Lord did not come on them in the days of Hezekiah. All right, so let's stop right there again and and peer into this a little bit more. Hezekiah, get your house in order. I would propose, what if Hezekiah realized, according to the text, he had no house? He had no lineage. He had no offspring. He had not given, he had not reproduced any family, any son, anything to give the kingdom to. There was no prince waiting in line behind him. To continue the work he had established. So could it be, in the prophecy from Isaiah, this is going to kill you, Hezekiah. Get your house in order. Wait a minute. I have no house. I don't have a house. I propose that as a possibility. In 2 Kings, in the account, it's in chapter 20. The Lord says, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Immediately he turned his face to the wall and he prayed. And he reminds God of his deeds. He reminds him of what he's done good in the sight of the Lord. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. The word of the Lord comes to Isaiah and he says, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people... Thus says the Lord God of your father, David, I have heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. Okay, now listen to this, right? I want to stop right there. Okay. What was significant about that? I'll get to that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. He also says, I'm going to add 15 years to your life. I'll deliver you in the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Hezekiah goes on in verse 8 to ask Isaiah, What will be the sign that the Lord will heal me? And I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day. And I don't have time to go into all this stuff. But it was understood that the only way, again, make the connection with the boil, with the leprosy, It was known that if you had leprosy, you were deemed unclean. You're not going into the temple. You're not getting in. You would be stopped 
and not allowed to enter the holy place of God. You were unclean. And again, why? You were deemed being judged by God. It was an outward sign of God's displeasure with a man. You cannot come in, Hezekiah, would have been what was told him. But the prophecy comes through his friend Isaiah, through the word of the Lord. Brother, you're going to... How, 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 Isaiah, Hezekiah asks, how will I know that he's going to heal me and restore me? What does the prophet say? The Lord says, you will go into the house of the Lord in three days. What did that mean in their understanding? He knew what was being said was the promise that I, if I'm entering the house of the Lord in three days, that means this sickness and disease has got to be gone. Because if I'm still sick with the boil, with the leprosy, I can't go in there. I won't be allowed in. So if I'm going in, according to the word of the Lord, I will be going in in three days, then amen, I'm going to be healed. That's my sign. That's my answer. Thank you, God, for your mercy. So God extends his life. We have to ask the question, why? To give him seed. To give him time for an offspring. And because Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart, God hears. God restores. God gives him a son named Manasseh in the last 15 years of his life. That's incredible to me. He would be deemed clean by the priests. The priests had to look at them, examine them, and determine if they were fit to enter into the temple. So he knew, I will be clean. I will be restored. So be it unto me. I will humble my heart. Does that sound like us? May we be so quick to respond. Oh God, I, I exalted myself. I became hard-hearted. May the word of the Lord come. May the recognition follow. And the repentance be right behind it. A turning. A yielding. Again, Hezekiah as us. The you and me part of him. Forgive me, God. Forgive me. The people were following me, maybe we could say, and I got so I kind of liked it. It kind of started to like, wow, look at what I'm doing. But God, forgive me. Receive me back. Look at my life, God. You see the pattern of my life. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Restore me and heal me. And God turns. Be it unto you. It's interesting to me that Judah was under bondage to Assyria when the Passover celebration was reinstated. They were assaulted literally by Assyria at the exact same time Zechariah was sick. They were all delivered and healed again. As it went with the king, it went 
for the people. He remembered. They remembered. I want to bring this to a close. Just just some thoughts to kind of wrap everything up. I believe that people had to be, as they remembered, things like this. This is just an example. We talk about what they remembered. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. They were living out before their very eyes what the people of God before them experienced themselves. First-hand experiential reality of I know the God of the Israelites who were delivered from the hands of Egypt. I know the God who delivered nation after nation after nation of His people throughout generations. How do I know that? Because He's doing it for us today. Because He's doing it right this very second. Did you see that Assyrian army? Y'all, that... That angel that was sent by God himself, that was the same angel at the Passover. Yahweh, God of our fathers, is our God. Do we understand that today? In this ridiculously crazy cultural mess of a world where most everyone is neck deep in sports and entertainment and in jobs and in cars and in clothing and in makeup and in hair. Where in the world do we have a place to say, I know Yahweh and He is my Father? Friend, where does that fit into your way of life? Do you remember? Body of Christ, do you remember? I would say we have not remembered. But there's hope for us. The people of God, when we keep His commands, when we remember He is a God who delivers. He is a God who delivers. When His people repent and return, it's sure throughout all generations, y'all. Right? So how far will we go in giving what we have to Him? Bringing the sacrifice. Now, on this side of everything in time and space that was divided at the death, resurrection, and coming of the Holy Spirit, the living sacrifice reality, what in the world can I have a right to keep? How much will I bring? 
How much will you lay down and you repent and turn away from? God has covenanted with his people. And he has been sure. And he has been set. And he has not wavered. The only thing he's wavered on is continuing to give us even more compassion. Even more kindness. Even more deliverance. He has met his covenantal promises and exceeded them. But he knows we're just like those who have gone before us. And we have foreign gods in our midst. We've abandoned the temple. We've abandoned his ordinances. We're not observing what he has instated for us to remember and remember. But he is faithful. He keeps his covenant with his people. So the issue is not for us to get it all together, but to be absolutely sure we are now his people. The last thing I want to say, and I'm going to bring this entire series to a close. We're going to fast forward all the way to Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read one verse. And y'all, we could spend days on this topic and examples we've been given. Acts 17.30, Paul is speaking. He says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. It's the same story. Lord, overlook our ignorance. Overlook our forgetting. Forgive us, deliver us, receive us. We've forgotten your ways. We've forgotten your ordinances. We've abandoned your laws. We've gone the way of our rebellious fathers. God is still looking for a dedicated, set-apart, consecrated people that will abandon their own preferences, their own traditions, their own gods themselves, their own ways in order to walk in His ways. So will you join in with that eternal purpose, friend? Remember, would you remember? If you don't know, you need to know. You must know, we must know our God and what He has done and is now doing and will covenantally forever do on behalf of His people. We ourselves are the second chance people of God. There is hope for us. There is hope for you. There is hope for that friend and brother that you have written off. There is hope for us. There's hope for humanity. So would you remember? Remember the word of the Lord.
spoken throughout all generations to come to Him and know Him and worship Him as He is. We are the second chance people of God. Amen.